Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Hills to Die On, Part 9, Evangelism, Affirmation Sunday. Recorded Sunday, November 6, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Well, here we are at the end of this Mark series. And uh, as you know, uh, one of the core values of our church is that the Scripture is God's Word. We teach that. We preach it. We, we, we rely on the Scripture for our hope. And as we wrap up this series, I'm going to take you to the last few verses that are found in the Gospel of Mark. Now, most modern translations have a footnote that separates this section with a question mark, sort of, that leads us to believe that maybe it didn't, uh, wasn't included in the, most, the earliest transcripts of of the Gospels. So let me try to explain that briefly. The New Testament was being compiled roughly 200 years after the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible just didn't come to be, you know, right at, in the first century. It, it was compiled by, and there's like nine authors in the Scripture, in the, in the New Testament Scripture. And uh, it's written in Greek originally. And uh, and so, we, what we see is that in the earliest versions that are found, uh, the earliest transcripts, this section of Scripture wasn't included in that. So, that's why some people wonder. Now, I took four years of Greek in college. I don't think I learned much of anything because I'm not that smart. I learned just enough to know that I'm not an expert in ancient Greek. But... Unless you're a serious, serious student of Greek, or if you're Brennan Lang, one or the other, you probably don't know this, but, but in those last few verses, those 11 verses, there's several words, there's 18 words that don't exist in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And so that creates some challenge with understanding this to be originally with the book. Now, in the very first verse of Mark, the, the writer stated clearly, Mark said, this is about Jesus, the Son of God. And that's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know Jesus is the Son of God, and then he spends the next several chapters explaining that in all kinds of ways. The fact is that Jesus did all kinds of extraordinary things to prove that he, in fact, is God. And then, of course, we just went, came through this experience where we talked about his death, burial, and resurrection, which ultimately proves that. Now, we call this Affirmation Sunday. This is something we do annually where we affirm the mission to go and preach the good news as a church. And the news, the, the hill we will always live and die on at Third City is to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. That is never going to change. God help us all. Okay? Now, I don't know definitively if Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 20 came from the hand of Mark or not, but I do know this. When you read through it, you find consistency with the rest of the New Testament with what is told to us. So I do know that there's truth in it, even if, and I don't know, even if it wasn't originally from the hand of Mark. So let me just point out some of those consistencies. I think it'll help us as we talk about what it means as a church to affirm the vision that Jesus has for us as a church. The first consistency is that Mary was the first one to preach the gospel of Jesus. 
It says in verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and were still mourning and weeping. So she was the first one. And as soon as she understood that Jesus is, in fact, raised from the dead and alive, her first instinct or response was to go tell them, those who were weeping, those who were without hope. And I would suggest to you, every one of us, when we first come to understand that Jesus is truly who he says he is, and he is raised from the dead, our first response and our only response from that point on about Jesus is to tell people the good news that he's raised. Here's a second consistency found in these verses. It took the disciples some time to grasp the truth that Jesus had raised from the dead. The way it's stated in verse 12 is afterwards, excuse me, uh, verse 11, when they heard that Jesus was alive, and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. And that usually, by the way, is the response of people. Like you show up and you have this new hope in your life, this hope that God has awakened in you, and you believe in the power of a Jesus raised from the dead and it's changing your life. You know, really the first response of people who don't understand that or don't grasp that is, oh, that's nice. I don't really believe that, but I'm glad you do, I guess, for you. That's good for you, not so much. That's really what the response will be of people who have not personally been impacted by this message that we have. And that leads me to a third consistency in this passage. Jesus appeared to two followers and then later revealed his identity to them. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country these returned and reported to the rest, that'd be the disciples, but they still didn't believe. So another pair of witnesses, and still these people are struggling with believing this because they themselves have not seen the risen Christ. Here's a fourth consistency. It took Jesus' presence to finally convince them that he, in fact, had raised. And I think there's something we need to see here. Believing the good news of Jesus is a very personal, very experiential situation for us. Like and I alluded to it earlier, how you know it really takes something in our lives to wake up the hope that he in fact is raised. Because it says in verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had raised. And I would suggest that most of us at some point live in a status of stubborn refusal about the truth of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. We have to break through that, and it's him who breaks us through. And so then here's another thing that we learn from this passage that's consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Jesus commissioned them to take the message of his resurrection and kingdom life into the world, to baptize those who believe, and to talk about what it means to be saved by him. He said to them in verse 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Those are two strong words, saved, condemned. 
And it sounds similar to what another gospel writer says in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. We call that the Great Commission. It's what the church lives for. It's why we're existent on earth. It is the commission to go to spread the good news, to spread the word about Jesus, to spread the hope, to baptize people who believe, to teach them about Jesus. It's serious. It's so serious, in fact, that salvation and condemnation stands or falls on how well we're able to do that with the people we love in our lives. And that leads me to another consistency that we find here. The first generation Christians, those who were right after Jesus, that generation of people, he gave them extraordinary gifts to prove that his power accompanied the message they were teaching. And they needed that in this unbelieving world that they were in. And we know that from other places in the Bible that Jesus instructed them for over a month and taught them what it meant to be prepared to take his message out and that he gave them some gifts that allowed them a hearing in that Roman Greek world that was so skeptical. Here's what it says in verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, languages that they don't know, languages to proclaim the gospel. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and they will, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. So these are some of the signs that accompany that first generation of believers. Here's the seventh consistency we see. When his time to leave the world had come, he ascended to the Father and entrusted that message to them and to us. He, he, he is now preparing for the eternity that, he, that awaits us. But in the meantime, he expects us, he calls us, he commissions us to share the good news. Verse 19, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven and, and he sat at the right hand of God. And then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. They did what they were commanded to do. That first group of people, they, they, they went into the world. They, they, they brought the good news of Jesus' resurrection for humankind. They baptized believers, and they, they lived and they died on that message. The emphasis is in line with the thrust of Mark's gospel because the gospel does not present Christianity as just some nice story or some fascinating account of something that took place in the first century with a really cool dude that did things that nobody else was doing. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gospel about the death and resurrection of God's Son, something that we believe, something that changes our lives, something we act on, something that changes us. And the emphasis here is on the belief of those who, who came to Jesus. They believed it. And many of you believe that. That's why you're here today. That's why you're in a mode of affirmation of what God's doing in our lives and our church. Now let me go back to verses 15 and 16 because this is the hill that as a church we will die on. No matter what, this is why we're here. This is why our efforts are, are, are so important and that, that why we believe so deeply in what we do as a body of believers in this world. He said to them, verse 15, go into all the world 
and preach the gospel to all creation. Two commands that he gives us that we will do. We will go and we will preach. That's what we'll do. We will go into the world. Beginning, the, the, the kingdom of God, when it began, took that posture and it continues until he returns. It's the good news that we share, that we proclaim as a church, that he gives life, that he has the answer to what plagues this sick world, the problem of sin that's destroying lives, the, problems, the problem of, of, of separation from God that, that ruins our homes and, and our churches and our communities and our cultures. It's the resurrection of Jesus the proof that Jesus has the answer to what ails us. It really matters. I was thinking about it this week in context with us at Third City. I was talking to some of our staff members. And, and in addition to the primary purpose to share the good news with every person we can, there's just some things that we do and have done in the last year that I think really have made a difference. And we may not know how much difference it made. Things happen all the time that you might not even be aware of that people in this church are doing in the name of Jesus in this community. Since January, you know this, but well over 100 people have responded to Christ and been baptized through the ministries of Third City Christian Church. And, you know, so that means that we're doing that, and that's an important aspect of what we do is to share the life-giving message of Jesus, and people respond to that. You know, we have a pretty huge ministry here with people who are grieving and people whose lives have been touched by deep loss, people who have gone through really hard things and are going through things. And when we support the work of ministering to the grieving, that's something that brings the hope of Jesus into their lives. We have a message that we share through service. And everyone from our preschool kids to our Connect kids, our Revive Young Adults, our Rooter groups, our Element students, our small groups, you know, we serve all over this community in the name of Jesus. We do things like involvement with the elderly. We repair people's homes when we're called to do that and can help. We call on the sick and the isolated and pray with them and encourage them. There's all kinds of local causes we're involved with. Rachel Lang is leading the way to strengthen our partnerships with, with uh, community ministries like Hope Harbor, Crossroads, Habitat for Humanity, Project Hunger. You know, we've been involved with those organizations for years trying to do our best to support them. Many of you have served at work days in one of those organizations, maybe many of them, because we want to be a part of that. Many of you help with the various Project Hunger and Habitat for humanity efforts that are happening in our community. Third City supports an effort with donations and volunteers to provide Christmas gifts for Wasmer Elementary School. And we were, one of our members just had a vision for that and we were able to support that vision and we'll do so again this year. Several of our members who are firefighters and first responders have begun a ministry on their own. And uh, they're doing some great things, not just with their colleagues, but around the state. A couple of them went just recently to uh, Lincoln to support other first responders in the wake of a horrible fatality accident, and they came and just gave hope there. Uh, Brendan Lang is on staff now to strengthen opportunities to call and disciple and, and to prepare others for ministry, because we're seeing this huge gap that's being created by the lack of 
people going to Bible colleges for that purpose. So we're going to pick up the pace and develop people for ministry. Uh, something that happened fairly recently was our revived adults recently put together appreciation gifts for hospital employees, and it was a really encouraging time for them uh, as they were able to minister to people in that very demanding profession. We did that also with educators this fall, as you remember, saying thanks to them for doing a tough job. And, and there are now 400 children in the schools of Missions of Hope in Kenya that you sponsor. That means that they're getting a great education, we're providing basic provisions and a chance to see Jesus alive in that part of the world. On Thursday, a group of 20 people are heading to Kenya from here. They're gonna do medical clinics, they're gonna do family outreaches in the community that we serve, and we are going to break grounds on a school building that we're helping to support. That's because you're generous. By the way, we need your prayers for those of us who are going on that trip. So if you're one who's going to Kenya this week and you're in this room, would you stand up? I want you to see them so you have someone to pray for. Just stand for us. And then uh, look around. You can see there's a few people in here. I want you to pray for these people as they take, they take our encouragement as a congregation to Kenya. They're not just going for themselves. They're going for us. So uh, let's pray for them. Lord, we are grateful that you call people to serve you. We're grateful that you call people locally to serve and internationally. Here's an opportunity for the love unlimited of Jesus to go forward to our neighborhood in, in the Madhari Valley of Kenya. We pray, Lord, that you will bless their work, keep them safe, and that you'll be honored and praised through what happens through their efforts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, 10% of our budget goes to missions partners all over the world and community. And so that's about $250,000 a year. And we figure that about that much, again, is given by you individually as, as people for your own causes and missions that you support. And, and those of you who are supporting children in, 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 uh, in our Kenya work, uh, that goes into that too. So you're very generous, and we thank you. So I guess what I'm... There's more things. I could just go on and on. But... Let me ask you, does it sound like we're going? Does it sound like we're preaching? Does it sound like we're baptizing as a church? Yes or no? I think so. Are we perfect? Please say no. We're not. But you know what? I think we're on heart. I think we're on heart. And we're going to continue to be on heart. And if we have to make changes, we will. And if we can do better, we're going to do better. But you know what? We're going to celebrate when God does good things because it's his work ultimately. Now, here's the second command of the risen Son of God. He said to go, he said to preach the good news. Preach the good news. The good news is that the power of evil in your life, the power of evil in my life, the power of evil in this world can be broken. And it doesn't have to grip and ruin our lives. And it doesn't have to take our life from us. Because Jesus has rectified that. That's the good news. It's what the scripture calls salvation. Jesus said, he who believes in this good news and is baptized will be saved. It's the good news. It's, it's, it's the real belief that makes a difference. And your story talks about that. It's the tangible moment in your life when you said yes to Christ because you believe he's a son of God. You know, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I have learned this in ministry. I have learned this in counseling sessions with broken lives and marriages, in rehab facilities with people who are strung out and trying to get out of that vortex of horror. 
I've learned it on the front porches where I've stood to break the tragic news that no one should have to hear. I've, I've seen it in hundreds of meetings in funeral homes and in hospital rooms where the last enemy staring people down is the one they're afraid of the most. And once you begin to understand how absolutely helpless you are apart from God, you're ready to do what the disciples finally did and to grasp that the resurrection's real. Until you're aware of what it means to be in a state of separation from God, you will not understand what saved means. And saved happens when you see him and believe in him. Saved happens when you respond to his grace. Baptism is that response. Friend, you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell about God reclaiming you. And I hope that you're on task with that. So on Affirmation Sunday, what we're doing as a church is we're saying, I'm on mission. I'm on mission with this church as we do our very best to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to proclaim the good news that Jesus has hope in even the most hopeless situations. We affirm that. We affirm that God has the message to save the world. We affirm the message of Jesus. We challenge you to be an affirmation of that as you are a part of this church. Now, we're going to commune together, and in communion, we're affirming something. We're affirming a Christ who loves me, who gave his all for me, and who is poised to return to make me finally whole. The Son of God, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we come to this moment of communion, a moment when personally we affirm again the good news. And if my heart isn't in good news today, maybe I can't commune because maybe me communing is, 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 really, is really not in step with where my heart is with you. But Lord, if there's something in me that's longing for you and it's open to you again and it's willing for me to hear you, my heart is ready. I'm ready to take that bread and that cup and be reminded again of a God who loves me that much, so much that you would give your one and only son, the son of God, so that I might not be condemned, but be saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I really can't think of a more fitting topic uh, to be united in as we come together to affirm our annual budget. See, this idea that we will always be a church that has eyeballs set outside these walls, uh, that we have a vision to introduce people to the love of Jesus. And uh, as a staff and as our finance team and our elders have gone through this process of putting together uh, a budget for 2023, I want you to know that uh, at every turn, we try to put together a budget that is uh, realistic, uh, that is uh, responsible, but also one that tells a story of vision of where we're going as a church. You see, we, uh, we believe that we are called, like Scott said, to reach as many people as we possibly can with the love unlimited of Jesus. And a budget is a tool that helps us to do that. It helps us to plan ahead 
and to, uh, to make sure that we have the resources needed so that your friends, so that your coworkers, your family members, they might find a place like Third City. And so this morning we are asking you, if you are a member of Third City, uh, to affirm a budget. And I'm just gonna read to you the, the actual ballot call. It says, as a member of Third City Christian Church, I affirm the budget recommended by the finance team and endorsed by the elders of Third City for the year 2023 in the amount of $2,908,628. And that's pretty flat line from last year, but it is full of vision. And it is asking us to take a big step of faith and of generosity as a church body. And so if you're a member of Third City, during the next two songs, we're gonna ask that you would come to the foot of the stage and that you would take one of the ballots and a pencil and you would mark your affirmation for this budget. And if you're not a member, if you're not sure if you're a member of this church, we want you to know this, there's a place on the bottom of the ballot where you can put your name and your contact information so that we can get in touch with you and talk with you about what that would look like if you're ready to be on mission with us as a church. We're inviting you to join us in doing this as an act of worship and unity. And before we do that, I'm gonna ask Kent Mann, the chairman of our elders, if he would pray for us. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we uh, come before you in the quietness of this moment to consider the budget that's being proposed for next year. God, we uh, ask your blessing on, blessing on the budget. Father, help that to be the vehicle that allows us to live out your vision and that for Third City Christian Church, and that vision is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. God, uh, be with us as we consider that budget and uh, ask that you would um, watch over us and continue to bless the fellowship here at Third City. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.